0: Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue-collar work ethic and where I find real value. The Black Duck Revival Podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Hunters of Color. Hunters of Color is a 501c3 nonprofit. They're the only nationwide hunting nonprofit led by BIPOC for BIPOC. They're working on increasing black, indigenous, and other peoples of color participation in hunting for the sake of conservation, food sovereignty, and to preserve our ancestral traditions. And like I told y'all the last couple of episodes, they've got a really cool raffle going on that you need to take advantage of really soon because I believe the drawing will be held on March 18th. Hunters of Color and the Oregon chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is proud to announce that they'll be donating 100% of the proceeds of this raffle to benefit hunters in Oregon. It'll be a three-day guided bull elk rifle hunt for one hunter on the 33,000-acre Zumwalt Prairie Preserve in Northeast Oregon during the fall 2023 season. This includes lodging on location at the preserve. The hunter may bring up to two non-hunting guests. It's entirely on foot and hunters should be in good physical condition. The property contains steep slopes and can be physically challenging to hunt. Recently, hunter success rates have been close to 100% with world-class bulls for this tag. Look, this is a great deal. Tickets are $25 or you can get five for $100. They're only gonna sell a total of 2,500 tickets. This is a really coveted tag. I think there's only like six of them every year. Two of them go to the general population there in Oregon, and four of them are donated to nonprofit organizations to raise money for conservation. And look, normally this is a tag that can go from $40,000 all the way up to $90,000. So you could pay $25 bucks and get a hell of a bull elk hunt with success rates hovering around that 100% mark, which is about as good a rate as you can get uh when you're you're dealing with the the wilds and hunting so if you're interested in checking that raffle out you can just go to the hunters of color instagram page and follow the link there in their bio hey everybody welcome back to the black duck revival podcast this week i am joined by land tawny land is the president and ceo of backcountry hunters and anglers that is a uh, nonprofit conservation-minded organization based here in these united states uh, the purpose of which is to preserve and hopefully even expand our access to those wild places in the woods and the waters uh, throughout north america uh, and to keep those accessible for not just hiking and, and bike riding and horseback riding, but for hunting and fishing. Which is you know one of the, the things, the, the pursuits that for better or worse has, has shaped this country. Land was in Arkansas for the Black Bear Bonanza. It was the second year that event has taken place up in northwest Arkansas put on by the Arkansas uh, chapter of BHA, and I was able to steal away with land the evening before uh, the Bonanza took place. I was over at my buddy James Brandenburg's house, and we recorded a podcast there, and then I stayed up and made uh, bear fat chocolate chip cookies and a bunch of bear tamales and took them to the, the Bonanza the next day, and man, I had a good time, dude. I was only there for a couple hours, but... Uh, got to present, man. There was a ton of folks there. Folks should be proud of themselves. They really should be. Uh, that was a hell of a, hell of an event they got put on. Uh, but anyway, man. So I, I got this opportunity to talk to Land, who's a really interesting dude. And <laughs> man, he was he was like really candid. And man, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I felt like I knew, I knew a bit more about who this dude was because uh, especially in the circles that I run in. And the more that I'm, you know, out West hunting and in, in Montana, like land is a, is a known kind of force, right? Uh, it, it was fun to kind of clear up a few of the misconceptions that maybe are out there about him. Uh, and also, you know, just talk about his approach to conservation and his family's history, uh, in that realm and just kind of his personal ethos and man, it, it was a good convo. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with land Tawny. Hey, and welcome back to the podcast, folks. This week, uh, I find myself in Northwest Arkansas, Bentonville to be exact, at the home of one James Brandenburg, a good friend and former guest on this podcast. Uh, and I'm here at James's house because I got to make a bunch of Black Bear tamales and cookies with the bear fat for the Black Bear Bonanza tomorrow uh, here in Bentonville. Uh, that'll be the 4th of March. But uh, I'm availing myself of the opportunity to talk to Land Tawny, who is, I'll, I'll tell you what I think your position is, and then you <laughs> correct me. But I, are you like the, are you the president, uh, CEO of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers?
1: You got it right. The president and CEO. There you go. Double yeah. duty.
0: Uh, and so, I mean, actually, there's an ad on this podcast talking about Oregon Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Uh, but- so probably a lot of the folks that listen to this podcast are aware of BHA, but why don't you give like the, you know, the elevator pitch about what BHA is, and we'll get into more specifics. Sweet. So
1: BHA is a fairly young organization. We've only been around since uh, 2004. And when those folks were sitting around that original campfire, they looked at all the other organizations that are out there doing amazing work. Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, the Elk Foundation, Mueller Foundation, list kind of goes on. But nobody was really focused on public lands and public waters. So that was the impetus of this organization to start was to make sure you have access to public lands and waters and then the quality fish and wildlife habitat when you get there. So our work ranges from doing on-the-ground projects at a local level, doing cleanups, riparian zone, restoration, trail maintenance, to working with the Local Fish and Game Commission, to working with state legislatures, all the way out, the way out to Washington, D.C. But again, that whole theme is always making sure that we have access to public lands and waters and then the fish have habitat when we get there. And you know, we're very lucky in this country. We're different than any other country in the world. We have 640 million acres of federally managed public lands that belongs to all of us. And so we want to make sure that you have access to those places, but, you know, make sure that you have the quality of
0: fish and wildlife habitat when you get there. And that's just federal land, right? That's not, that's not state state, at all. So
1: like you add state on there and I wish I had that stat in the the back of my head. I was just in Pennsylvania and they have got like 3.3 million acres of state land that they manage there. That's open to hunting and fishing. And so each state has their own little pocket of state land too.
0: Yeah. That's, you know, that's an important uh, distinction to make with, with you know how hunting slash conservation works in america you know bigger kind of north america right which is very different than i always tell tell people about uh because f- f- folks want to put basically folks that aren't immersed uh in hunting as part of their life like they put a very broad stroke uh, when painting hunting right so that's like everything from you know like killing lions in africa to like blow gun hunting this that i mean and while that is all hunting it it's all very different right so like in i think of the king's deer right mm-hmm. like that western european model right where this is like an organized I think that's where the idea of it being a sport kind of come into it, right? Mm-hmm. There's like a ritualistic way it goes about. There's a gamekeeper, like that's literally a person who's it's like a it's like a private forester, right? Taking care of the area and managing it for drives and whatever. Uh, and that's very different than what we have in America, where I think that we probably also inspired by the way this country. Uh, was founded you know in modernity anyway Uh, the idea of like european westward expansion and idea idea of people like daniel boone and davy crockett right and uh, lewis and clark but yeah that we live in a place where you could you can like go up in the mountains and like just be in the mountains right like there's rules and stuff but you could kill an animal up there and live on it and camp out there. And I mean, there's people living in teepees and stuff traveling around in Montana, right? I mean,
1: it's 16 days that you can be on the same spot on public land camping before you have to move. Now I'm sure there's some people that are way back in the woods that are spending a little bit more than 16 days in one spot. But I, you know, that ability, I think not only to have access to those public lands, but then you mentioned like the public wildlife and that Western kind of, european model that wildlife belongs to individuals which is usually the wealthy elite Mm -hmm. and not the people and so again in this kind of modern as you described kind of america which is you know not that old and even like the the conservation and kind of this wildlife belonging to the people i think there was a supreme court case back in 1842 that established that wildlife belonged to the people. And it was this oysterman in New Jersey that was taking oysters out of the river. Private landowner had gotten a a, a King's Grant when they settled over here from England that said he owned the fish and the wildlife and the birds that were on that property. Mm -hmm. So he thought that that those shellfish, those oysters, belonged to him. Well, this oysterman was out there taking them and they got in this big dispute, goes all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court says, no, actually, they belong to the people. And that's really what set this thing in motion that the Mm. wildlife belonged to the people. And then later, you know, with Roosevelt in particular and the establishment of a lot of our public lands when he was the president, that's where like the land then belonged to the people too. And that's that modern kind of way of looking at it for sure.
0: Yeah, which is, I bet you the way that the public way that a lot of people uh, interact with it would be like going to Yellowstone or something. Right. But I, I think people, and I'll just speak to the place I know the best, which is Arkansas. Right. Arkansas is a place it's different because it's in the Southeast, but it's public land wise. It's really more aligned with like Western States, right? Like there's just a tremendous millions and millions of people, publicly accessible acres uh in Arkansas. So much so that there's like cultures that have built up around it, you know, like uh originally like hunting ducks in the timber, right? In Arkansas, that was like a that was a purely public land sort of deal. Uh and now we we do deal with like some control structures and you'll hear people talk about like putting the boards in on Bayou to like to hold the water, but it didn't used to be that, right? It, it it was kind of this like, you know, what we were talking about earlier. Like Newcomb, this is like Newcomb's territory, right? This is like hillbilly stuff, right? <laughs> My stuff is more like Delta Rednecks, mm-hmm. right? And and I mean that not as a pejorative, I mean that in the best possible way. Uh just like country people from that region. Uh and yeah, like this whole niche culture of duck hunting on public land and like what a ingrained sense of the culture it is in those parts uh, of the state but I bet you that folks aren't really it's just something that's there you know uh, and I've talked about this a bit on the podcast but like I think that Arkansas's license prices are woefully low the lowest in the nation it's like $35 man like for your fishing and your deer mm-hmm. and a bear right and when they tried to I mean, they try to get a few extra dollars, the game and fish did last year. You know, on a fishing license that hasn't the price hasn't changed since like eighty three. And the the legislature fought it tooth and nail. And I don't think they're thinking about the fact that this is like it doesn't magically like the roads don't magically get maintained, right? Like there's there's financial investment that has to go into this stuff. Uh but it is, and I didn't really mean to get off on this tangent, but I'm just saying, like here in this state, I think that too often, uh, like we almost, like we don't know how good we have it because we don't. You could never leave Arkansas. You could be a hell of a hunter and an angler and never leave Arkansas and never be at a want for really cool opportunities. So I think a lot of people don't. And they don't know it's not like this. If you just go cross our southern border into Texas, it ain't like here.
1: Yeah, the uh, I think people take it for granted, right?
0: Yeah, that's I I danced around that.
1: <laughs> but I also, you know, and I'm I'm here and I'm finding out about your stream access laws too, which mm-hmm. are absolutely amazing. And I think that idea that you're describing, when people really don't, they take it for granted because nobody's really even told them on where that came from necessarily, sure. right? And, and why that opportunity is there for them and that it didn't happen by accident. And by the way, we have to stay engaged or those things can change, right? They can either be privatized or, you know, things can, the management can change on those federal public lands or even on those state lands. And so it's about being engaged. But I think, you know, that complacency is one that I always struggle with because it doesn't take much, you know, to to really change uh, what we all have. And then if, if by the time maybe some people figure out that it's being taken away from us, it's probably too late. And so we have to stay constantly vigilant. You talk about the legislature, right? This happens all over the country. And I'm like, what's an extra $3? And, and we can't pay that extra $5? And like, you can't even go to McDonald's <laughs> and yeah. spend that right now, right? I mean, and uh, you can spend way more than that. And so like, to me, These opportunities that we have, how dang lucky are we? And the only way we're going to maintain them is uh, by caring, feeding them, and being stewards of that land. And I think that when people, it's very short sighted, right? It's like this tax or whatever on the people, you know, that increase of uh, the. with the license fees and they don't know where that money is going necessarily and i think that we could do a better job talking about where that money goes and so that they can see that investment and so that they feel comfortable wanting to spend more money so hopefully making it better
0: yeah and look you're not going to get everybody i mean because also here you know i think arkansas ingrained in the culture here because it's not a place one it's kind of insular but it's also a place that people from other states don't really think about right so i think there's a bit of a you know like uh it's like that drive-by trucker song you know and they're like we ain't never gonna change we ain't doing nothing wrong like there's just a kind of this is us kind of mentality and, mm-hmm. and folks uh you know that there is a a distrust of law enforcement and i think just enforcement in general mm-hmm. uh that which i mean look dude i get it (laughs) i'm not gonna go too far into that but i get it but i also know that dude arkansas ultimately is so easy it's so cheap i'm not getting harassed by wardens all the time here uh like i've encountered a, a, a game warden twice uh and it's pretty easy to play by the rules and to it, it. It's, this is just not a place where it's arduous. It's not arduous to be a hunter or to be an angler or to identify as that. Uh, I've never felt like I had to hide what I was doing, you know, because it was going to mess up opportunities for me and in, in the community, which I gather in other places is not the case. Right. Uh, I, I, I gather that in other places, hunters feel persecuted. Mm hmm. And I've I've never felt that way, right? Like it's always been treated as a point of interest, at the very least, a novelty to mm-hmm. people. Uh, Long-standing part of the culture. Yeah, you know, I mean, which I would imagine would be the same. You're you born and bred in Montana? I am. So like, even with the changes that I'm sure you've seen in the last decade or sure. two decades, right? Like that's still part of the culture.
1: I mean, we have in Montana 20% of the people hunt. And then another whatever 25 to 30 percent fish. so I always say it's like over half the people hunting fish, mm-hmm. knowing that a lot of people do both. but yeah it's it's part of our culture, and I think is you know this damn TV show Yellowstone is driving all these people to Montana right yeah. now you know first we had river runs through it back when I was in high school or ending up in high school.
0: And did that? Did you all see a push of people moving?
1: Yeah. Wow. And I think not even just a push of people moving, but a bunch more people that wanted to be Brad Pitt and do that shadow casting, you know? not They're not even like, like even catching fish. They just look real good yeah, when they're yeah. out there, you know? But this Yellowstone thing, I think it's the number one TV show in the world, you know? And it's being seen by all these people. So we're getting a huge influx of people coming into Montana right now. And is that changing the culture? I would say a little bit, which is hard to see. Uh, our culture has probably been changing, you know? <laughs> for, you know, ever in Montana anyways. But uh, it does feel like there's that influx. But I think that, you know, that a lot of people are moving to Montana for those open spaces, you know, for those opportunities, which I think is probably happening here in Arkansas too, like Northwest Arkansas. This
0: part of Arkansas for sure. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. I'm
1: hearing it, like, while I'm here, I'm hearing about like this, the kind of the pressure that that creates, Mm. which I totally understand. And people are coming here for the right reasons because they want to get out and touch and feel like all these opportunities that you were talking about. But how do we... I think the difficulty is how do you maintain the quality of fish and wildlife habitat that I was talking about earlier and then the quality of experiences out there, right? And um, you know, I think everybody's had a fishing spot. Everybody's had a hunting spot that's been ruined because of pressure. Sure. And, you know, we can complain about that or, you know, as you just just described, there's so many things that you can do in this state and just go find another spot, you know, like that's the, that's the embarrassment of riches that we have because of public land and because of public water.
0: Yeah, man. And I get, I totally get the inclination. Uh, Like I gave Brandenburg and his boy a couple holes this year. Mm -hmm. Like they stayed up at, one of my places in brinkland i gave him a couple of holes and uh you know what it was like man i i don't have to be so guarded about this anymore uh these are people i like you know mm-hmm. like and uh i like would want them to go here and use these things you know uh but shit, man that probably took four years you know, I mean I was telling Brandon Burger, I was like, dude, don't you ever come back to this place? Yeah. I said, don't you tell anybody about it. Yeah. I said, if I find out you're in here without asking me first, man, we got a problem. you know? Yeah. But he uh he gets the he gets the code, right? And so yeah, man, like dude, nothing. That's the trade-off with something being public, right? Mm-hmm. Is it can be it can be yours, but you still have to share it. You know, and sometimes sharing stuff means you got to let it go, and you know, because maybe some folks do get in there and just beat it up, or uh, it was just never anybody there. Now, just a truck being at the gate ruins the experience for you. Totally. You just got to go find another place. Uh,
1: You got to outlive the bastard sometimes too. I had a, I had a spot. Same thing. Take this guy to a hole that I had figured out back in Montana, Western Montana, duck hole. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We don't have a huge flyway there. So sure. like when you find it, like it's special. Yeah. Very special. Showed said, I haven't told him you can come back here by yourself. Just don't bring anybody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, Two weeks later, show up and there's like six trucks there and they're just hammering the birds. Did that. That spot was probably ruined for a decade. Mm-hmm. Then they they were there at school. They moved away. You know, I, I wasn't friends with that kid anymore. Yeah. But like, you know, like they stopped using that spot this last year I went in there and uh, we had one of my best days, waterfowling, but it took, you know, like took, like, again, like, I watched that spot for probably a week before mm. I actually went in and hunted it. But it took some time for that place to recover, but it came back too, right? And so, like, I had gone and looked and found other places. I mean, OnX is one of these most amazing things now. Yeah, right? for sure. You can go find places that I never even knew that I could get to. On the flip side of that, other people can use OnX too and they can find some of these spots, right? And so I think it's just... I don't know. I try not to get too bent out of shape, but I do, uh, I do, uh, I guard them a little bit, um, and try to introduce people that, like you said, get the code.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's just, uh, I don't know, dude. Like, you know, the alternative is lock some stuff up for yourself. Right. There's trade-offs to that. Uh, and my, man, honestly, man, my opinion on that, like it, it's so situational, and it's so, <laughs> it, it's so influenced by like how good I have it that season, you know. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there still is. I think in the scheme of things, we're like hunters are nine percent of the the American population. Like ultimately, it's still a a, a niche thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have to you might have to go a little further, but that's kind of where all the best hunts are right like even if you live in a cool place getting a little bit further away from everybody else is that's what i'm looking for right like i want to i want to pretend i'm daniel boone right like i don't want to be thinking about other people totally i just want to immerse myself in what i'm doing uh, and sometimes that means like that i go to what would seem to be less than stellar habitat but you know lack of pressure can can help a place out so
1: a little bit of effort, right? Gets you yeah. away. Like a lot of, you know, that whole idea of you get away like more than a mile from a road. Yeah. Hardly anybody's going to do that work mm-hmm. after that, right? And so maybe it is not the greatest habitat, or maybe, you know, like you find some hole or you find some opportunity. You know, I hunt a lot of elk and deer back home. And like that idea of just getting a little bit farther and always wanting to see what's over the next ridge. And that's yeah. that idea of public land. Like you talked about, you know, locking something up. Well, that would most likely be private land, mm-hmm. right? Not a bad thing. I'm not against private land hunting at all. But then you're kind of stuck on that spot, right? Like yeah. that's your spot where on public land, like I can explore and explore and explore and explore. And to me, that's what's exciting to me. And that, like, like that sticking with that Daniel Boone kind of thing is just like uh, exploring and, and challenging yourself and like having this adventure that you never, like these places that you've never seen before is kind of fun. I mean, I have plenty of places that I go back and it feels like home. You know, because you've been, I've been going to them for my entire life. Yeah, but finding those new spots is almost more exciting sometimes, uh, just because they're out there and they're just they just take you know take some time and
0: effort to go see. Yeah, I mean, there's value and there's value in both, right? Oh, like, totally. It'd be, dude. I would love to have, you know, a little timber hole that I could take my kids to or you know hunt ten times a year and just never just always be able to go in there and shoot a few birds and then the kids could do it. I mean, that would be amazing. Right. Uh, But there's other stuff too, right? Like we can always go to the same stretch of water and catch fish or we can always, uh, we can work around the seasons. Like, you know, there's never, is there, I guess there's like a window. There's a window between the end of Turkey season. Wait, there might not be, I don't, there might not be any time of the year that you couldn't be, Hunting an animal, like you can definitely always fish, but in Arkansas, like yeah, I think squirrel season would close, then you can hunt turkeys, and then that ends you can get back on squirrels. I mean, it's a pretty good deal, right uh it's an amazing deal come on it's yeah man i'm 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 underselling it it's a it definitely changed how my life has has worked out what uh so here's the deal, man. I don't actually know just a shit ton about you, right? Like, I'd say the two biggest things I know is that your dad was, like, a pretty known person uh, in the West and within conservation, right? Both he
1: and my mom were, but my, I think my my dad, before he passed away, he was the uh, lawyer for the Elk Foundation. So okay. So they started in 85, like, started, like, he wrote their articles of incorporation and bylaws and stuff, and then he passed away in 95 so we had 10 years with them but I think you know in Montana in particular my dad was known but I think through the elk foundation circles you know they did a lot of work uh, initially and still to this day you know to protect elk habitat and my dad was right in the middle of that and then wh- what about your mom so they were both the first full-time conservation lobbyists at the state legislature in Montana and so uh, they would go to the state legislature every two years our legislature runs every two years and they would Lobby on behalf of conservation, and so my mom uh, today helps run a foundation that gives out small grants in Montana to all these different nonprofit organizations in Montana that work on conservation. So she's still heavily involved. Uh, my sister worked for Ducks Unlimited for a while out in Washington D.C. Now she runs Montana Conservation Voters back in Montana, and so there's like this thing that was in the water, you know, at mm-hmm. our house or something that my parents started and. Um, you know, both of them, you know, that's, that's probably why I'm doing what I'm doing today, but I wouldn't have got there. I don't think, and you know, I've talked about it a couple of times, but my dad passed away in 95 when I was 19. And when that happened, I was screwing around, going to school out in Seattle, chasing girls, having a good time. And then all of a sudden stuff got real serious when he passed away and I came home and I didn't know that I'd be doing conservation in a big way. Uh, the way I am right now at that point but I know I wanted to do something and I think you know my parents both set me on that path and my mom today you know I'm still I have conversations with her all the time about you know this this big thing that's conservation that has so many different nuances to it but I feel very lucky to have grown up in a family that uh, valued conservation
0: yeah man dude it kind of sounds like it became the family business a little bit I've got
1: I've a school teacher you know but and she's rad she's amazing but uh it it's the family business <laughs> I mean I think that in some ways yes uh you know and maybe it stops with us I don't know you know I got two young kids maybe they'll get into conservation I
0: don't know what uh but I mean so they were involved in this I mean to give you the name land right like there's got to be <laughs> is that a family name or is that just influenced by what they valued so uh I changed my name when I got this job Oh, okay.
1: I'm kidding. Come on. Oh, I was like, what? This is, <laughs> I
0: was like, this is the weirdest shit ever, man. <laughs>
1: no, I, uh, so you know who Charles Lindbergh was? Yeah. Spirit of St. Louis. Louis. Yes. flew so across the Atlantic Ocean, first transcontinental uh, continental flight. He has a son named Land Lindbergh that lives in Montana in the Blackfoot Valley, which is just outside of Missoula. Not the one that was kidnapped. No, not the one that was kidnapped. And, uh, and so good friends of my family. And so I'm named after him. Really? But at the same time, you know, they were the, they were the, they were the first full-time conservation lobbyists at the state legislature. And so knowing land at Lindbergh and then doing the work that they were doing, it just kind of fit. And so that's how I was actually named.
0: That's interesting. Okay, so let's reference that, right? So you're wearing, I took notice, you're wearing a flat-brim black St. Louis Cardinals hat mm-hmm. right now. Uh, and we just referenced the spirit of St. Louis. Yeah. What, so what's the allegiance to love the it. cardinals love it so grew up uh, in missoula
1: montana and so mariners are a long ways away in seattle yeah. you got the colorado rockies that are probably close but they're pretty far away but as i was telling you about my dad working for the elk foundation mm-hmm. their first big check they ever got was from budweiser and it was for a half a million bucks yeah for a purchase outside of yellowstone park for elk migration so as my dad was going down to St. Louis and doing these deals, he would go to Cardinals games and he would bring back baseball cards f- for me as mm-hmm. a young kid. One of them was signed by Ozzie Smith, yeah. the famous shortstop. Yeah, and man. so at that point I was just hooked. And so I've always been a St. Louis Cardinal fan uh, since then. And, uh, um, and I've never even been to a baseball game there, which is like totally crazy to me. Um, yeah. And
0: you missed the old Bush Stadium. Totally. Totally. Uh, which was, still has like a really fond place in my heart, man. It does. But like the new station st- stadium stadiums, like, as far as being able to see, dude, those nosebleed seats in the old stadium were uh <laughs> But they used to give them to you. So do you know I'm from St. Louis?
1: I did not know that. Yeah. No. Okay. I'm, I'm from okay, this is okay, You're like, why do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's where I'm from, man. <laughs> okay. Uh, Yeah, like we used to grow up. I mean, you'd see Ozzie Smith, you know, like just bumping into him at the you know, whatever the grocery store, no way. whatever. Yeah. 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 I saw, he my, do a
1: backflip there too?
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. My dad took me to see the last game he ever played. Okay. Uh, but in St. Louis dude, like if you got straight A's in grade school, you got like two free Cardinals tickets. Cool. So we used to go, you know, so you're like, a
1: good student just for that. Just or? the
0: nosebleeds, man. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty good until high school, man. And then yeah. it all went, it all went around. <laughs> uh, Okay, so then the other thing I know, right? It's kinda of controversial. Right? Oh boy. Uh so I'd say that the number one the num number one complaint I've heard about BHA in Arkansas is that uh it man, what it really all comes down to is that uh you had something to do with Obama. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so and it's man, that's some sort of there's some sorta of infiltrators, man, communists or something. But so was it like you were the head of sportsmen for Obama when he was running or what was going no,
1: on? No, so I had some, I had some, just I'll step back one second. Okay. So my dad was a lawyer for the Elk Foundation. Yeah. Did a lot of great work in conservation in Montana, mm-hmm. as my mom did. My dad was also the executive director of the Democratic Party for five years in Montana. As well. Okay. So that conservation kind of a Democrat-like thing is also a household I grew up in, just so yeah. we're clear. The Elk yeah. Foundation does amazing work, but- my dad was a Democrat.
0: let yeah. just put that out there.
1: <laughs> so I had some friends that were actually running Sportsman for Obama when Obama ran the first time. And uh, they called me and asked me if I wanted to uh, help run Sportsman for Obama in Montana. Now, like, there's probably no way he was going to like even win in Montana. But sure. But I was, you know... The political side of me was like, "All right, like this would be something you know, and like these guys are out in washington d c and you know they're friends of mine, and I will say yes. at the same time, McCain was running, if you remember this, like mm-hmm. he ran against McCain. I love John McCain, like I really did, and I'd met him out in washington d c
0: dude, you know he does McCain seems to seemed like he harkened back to uh, just a, a time of decency like he just always struck me as just a a really like decent I mean aside from the the heroism right sure like aside from talking about like being that POW camp and everything yeah just the way he conducted himself was was just like a good decent person man it, it was a yeah I, I'm just to say yeah I liked McCain too he seemed like a good dude I thought he was rad yeah know, like he yeah. was working on climate change
1: stuff before anybody was working on climate mm-hmm. change on that side of the aisle like at all. I remember meeting him out in D.C., and just, you know, he's a short little dude, and he was walking down a hall, and I saw him come, and I kind of stepped in front of him, and he had to, like, stop, and he looked up at me, and I just shook his hand. I said, thank you so much for what you're doing on climate change. And he yeah. looked up and he's like, oh, man, I appreciate it. <laughs> so I had a connection to him, and I swear to God, I probably would have voted for him, but there was a grizzly bear study that was going on in Montana at this okay. time. And so we were trying to delist grizzly bears off the endangered species list, mm-hmm. And so you had to have an idea of what their population was. And so there was some ideas that we had like 300 to 500 bears. A friend of mine who's my best friend since fourth grade was participating in this study. It was like this hair sampling study, right, to get DNA. Okay. Through this study, they ended up finding out that there was like 900 bears there, like individuals, like because they since they're doing hair studies, they can, they can get down to the mm-hmm. individual level. So the bears ended up, I mean, they're still kind of in the process of being delisted, but McCain got on the floor and was like, this is the biggest piece of like pork and fluff in this country. And I was like, McCain, yo, like there's so much money when these things are, and so many regulations when they're on the endangered species list. If we get them off, it's going to cost us less money. People are going to be able to hunt them. And these bears are going to be recovered like like in a big way. And so I fundamentally, fundamentally disagree with them. And so that's Mm -hmm. kind of where I switched away from McCain. Okay. But yes, so I, I go and I run sources for Obama, I think in Montana with a couple other friends that I have in Montana. He ends up losing in Montana, wins the election though. And it was my first like real start to play into politics. Would I do it again? Absolutely. Even knowing now that, I mean, like it's like, it, it hangs around my neck. Like I'm some, like you said, like infiltrator. Uh-huh. And again, knowing where I come from, my parents were involved in conservation, my dad was a lawyer for the Elk Foundation, like I've been hunting and fishing since I was a little kid. I just happened to have helped, not even help get him elected because he didn't win in Montana, but helped be a part of that whole situation. And and to me, this monolithic thing that all hunters are Republicans, and if you are a Democrat, like you are anti-hunting and you... and. I I just, it kind of blows my mind, right? And so at BHA, our membership is split in thirds. Third Democrat, third Republican, third Independent. There's some, you know, it's not exactly like that, but Mm -hmm. that's the way it breaks out, year after year after year.
0: You know, I'd say it feels like that too. Like just, I mean, that would, anecdotally, I would say it feels like that. So to me, that's the country, right?
1: Like when you think about our country right now.
0: So, you
1: know, why then you know, as a Democrat, am I being ostracized just because I'm a Democrat, right? Like, look at the body of work that I've, like, that's what I always talk to people about. Okay, so you're scared about me because I did this thing at one point. I also did stuff later for Senator Tester in Montana, who beat an absolute evil dude that had been horrible for conservation, horrible for hunting, horrible for fishing. Denny Reberg, he beat him by like 5,000 votes, and I got to play a part in that race, and it was way more exciting because we won (laughs) but also John Tester has been amazing since he's been in the Senate for the stuff that you and I care about. So it's not that wasn't the only thing I ever did but I think that like this idea I think that hunting and fishing and conservation in general is one of these issues that crosses party lines and so this this scarcity like this green decoy thing which is what you what you're bringing up a little bit Yeah, it started off that oh he's a Democrat and uh doesn't even hunt and fish and doesn't have your best interests in mind. Then it became, well, actually he does hunt and fish, but he doesn't have your best interests in mind. And now I'm this like Democrat that's trying to take your guns away. And I'm like, this whole thing, and I found out the other day, that whole campaign was paid for by oil and gas money. And the reason that they were paying that money, this was back when BHA had like 2000 members, we were nothing is that we were talking about responsible energy development on public lands, which mean, didn't mean no energy development. It just meant that as you're doing that, do it in a phased way and not all development all the time at the same time. And so clean up your mess as you're going and then move on to the next, right? That's Pay all, attention to migration patterns. Like just, yeah. in, in the right place, right? You know, all these things, right? It's pretty common sense stuff. But they didn't like that and obviously probably saw what BHA was going to become before maybe some others, and so that's when they started that campaign. But long story short, I think that Democrats, Republicans, Independents hunt, and it's the one place that we can all come together and find a path forward. That I think, and I, I don't want to be too Pollyannish about this, but hopefully, breeds into other issues where we can find common ground. You know, like this, this, this partisanship that we have in this country, this kind of just pounding at each other. I get it, but I also think that uh, there's much more people in the middle and maybe conservation and hunting and fishing can have us think about trying to find common ground because I think that's exactly what we do in this country when it comes to
0: conservation. Yeah, no, I, dude, I do agree with you on that, man. I think it's it's uh, folks, folks from lots of different walks of life uh, find value and respite and Uh, social and cultural identification like in the woods and on the water and stuff right absolutely uh and that the manifestations that are very different right but yeah dude it is a and i definitely don't want to fall into this like we're everyone's so divided right thing but like man it does feel like it's something particular to america Right, this idea that we would have access to this, this would be held in trust for everybody, Uh, and yeah, man, stuff does seem very precarious right now. And maybe that is something to hold our or hang our hat on, Uh, because, dude, I would tell you just with like my personal relationships. I mean, I'm definitely friends with folks, like, like friends, like I give a shit about them with folks because of BHA that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. Because. Because this is, it's something that you can care about in unison, but you can care about a lot, right. right? You know, uh, It's part of who we are. Sure, know? sure. Man, so that's an interesting question. So I've been, like the last couple of years, man, like I've been going out west, right? Like I never went out west, right? I d- mm-hmm. never had any reason.
1: Never out. had to because you have all these opportunities <laughs> right here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Also, no, that's not true. I mean, I did used to go out tour out there a little bit, but... Never, I didn't have, like, a real, uh, I don't think I had uh, understood the scope of the West. Uh, And, but, so, now I'm out there a lot, and, you know, Montana is having this, like, big, it feels like nationally, but then just specifically because of, like, BHA and Sitka and, like, Bozeman is, Like, hunting Hollywood now, right? Los Angeles? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just, like, out there. I know a bunch of people that live there now and stuff. So it's just a place I pay attention. I'm just aware of more now than I would have. I wasn't aware of it at all, uh, you know, three years ago probably. Uh, But, man, I am so struck with how different it feels there. Like, culturally, socially, it feels like a very different place than... Like the Delta, right? In what way? uh, Well, you know, I I think that the land shapes the people that exist there, right? Especially people that have been there for a while, Mm -hmm. right? Like you get these, you know, eight, nine, and 10 generations of people in a place or five generations, right? To where they don't remember not being there and just what's normal what becomes normal to you right so like the flavors of, of of a place right like uh the stuff you eat the stuff that makes you like think about your grandma and mm-hmm. like really feels like home to you right like it's real different uh and man it's it does make me think about like just how weird america is cuz it's I mean, this is like really like a lot of different countries put together, right? Like in Europe, this would be, sure, this would be from Russia to, you know, the coast of Ireland. Right. Uh, and we do have that thing that holds us together, but I also think that we're like real different. And so I would say one big thing I notice in Montana is there's a lot more space between people, right? Like big, open, just long you could drive a long time and not see a town or see a person or anything. Right. Absolutely. They have these wide spots in the road. Cause it's designed for people to be like, you got to pull over and sleep in the truck or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what I noticed too, uh, just I never saw police presence driving all across the West. It's not like, I mean, if you're in town you know, I saw a cop or something, but I'm just used to seeing police all the time, you know, sheriffs and highway patrols. That's very different. Uh, you know, obviously, like, there's like very few brown, like, black people in Montana, right? But then th- there's a lot of uh, Native Americans, right? Like, oh. there's, which is something that we are completely out of want for in Arkansas. Like, you got to think about the history, right? Like, Arkansas, this is like a big chunk of the Trail of Tears. It's mm-hmm. so, like all of the Native Americans, or a large chunk of the Native Americans, that were in this area, right? Chickasaw, Choctaw, like they, they all got marched into Oklahoma, into the, you know, quote unquote, Indian territory. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just like race relations are different. And uh, I mean, hell now, just like the, the financial scope of stuff, right? I did not see, I didn't see, now granted, I was, where did I go? You know, I was in Bozeman. I was in Missoula. I was in, what's that really with that old mining town butte butte right
1: butte's awesome butte butte was more besides my kinda, the besides the pit It's yeah, amazing. aside
0: from that but my, that more my kind of feel yeah. feel right you know yeah. a little rougher around the edges still so i don't think it's been so gentrified uh but dude i just didn't see the see poverty the way you'd see it in the delta yeah you know like there's people with dirt floors mm-hmm. like half the buildings burnt out and they're living in the other half uh Really interesting to me, but yeah, it was like it was a decidedly different feel, and so me i'm just kind of dancing around and just i'm not making a ton of sense, but I do wonder like you've grown up in montana, right, a man of what I'm right? one of those
1: fifth generations, yeah yeah, yeah,
0: so like really deeply rooted there, right yeah man in your midlife right yeah like hopefully let's hope man. <laughs> uh. And this this is probably way too big of a question we can we can refine it but like man what does america feel like to you that's a question i think about a lot because it feels different to me when i'm in different places and that's a place that feels distinct a lot of like here where people are a lot closer together it muddies a bit mm-hmm. you know like arkansas different but not unlike mississippi it's like parts of louisiana mm-hmm. right like parts of missouri Montana feels like something distinct to me. Uh, and I think that being rooted in that would influence how you, you know, the, the, the lenses through which you look at everything else. So, like what, is, like, what does America feel like to you? What's your, like, idea of it?
1: Oof. That's gigantic.
0: Yeah, it's a huge question. But, like, answer it any way you want to. I mean, I think that...
1: That's really interesting. So, I think being that kid that grew up in Montana... Rooted, as you say.
0: What part of Montana?
1: Montana? Western Montana. So I'm from Missoula. I was born in Helena. Gotcha. State capital, but then moved to Missoula when I was five. Both my parents went to high school there. Both my grandparents were in Missoula. So that's like the mountainous part of the state, right? And it's the Mm -hmm. western part of the state. Then you get to the central Montana, and you got like breaky country, and then you get like farther east, and it's pretty flat. Mm -hmm. We have three different states almost in the state of Montana. I mean, really, we do. And so there's a... Ton of like geographic diversity within my own home state, but as I grew up, you know, I was a mountain kid, and so as I've gotten the opportunity to travel around, and I don't have mountains to reference, I really feel, uh, I really feel um, lost sometimes. You know, like Mm. I I don't have references. I don't. I don't. I don't feel like I know where my place is because I just can't tell where I am necessarily. And I think when I first started to travel. You know, I was very, there's a Steinbeck quote uh, that when he wrote Charlie, or Travels with Charlie, and it's something like, and, you know, for other states I have admiration, but with Montana it's love. And when you're in, in, you know, in love, it's hard to describe. That's kind of the way I feel about Montana. Mm, mm. And I would project that to other places that you're just not as cool as Montana. Like Montana is like the cream of yeah. the crop, right? But as I've had this job and other jobs, and I've been able to travel all over this country, I spent a lot of time down in Louisiana especially on the marsh man it was like we were working on a campaign to restore the mississippi river delta that's a special place oh my god dude like that that dirt's still underneath my fingernails like i i I literally love that place and the people and the culture but as i've gotten to travel i've gotten to realize that there's many other really cool places in this country you know and it's because i get to go out and feel and touch things now is it ever going to be my home state of montana probably not but that the the different, as you described, not only like different cultures, but just different ecotypes. It's absolutely amazing what we have in this country. And a lot of that is still the way it is today because a lot of it's public land and public water. North Carolina is a great example. So when I go to North Carolina, I'm like ready to be kind of underwhelmed. You go to the, from the Outer Banks to the Blue Ridge Mountains, and there's like many different ecotypes in between those mm-hmm. two. And there's a lot of public land there. I was just in Pennsylvania. There's a ton of public land in, in Pennsylvania. A ton of public land in New York. And it doesn't have to be all public land, but I think like the diversity of just like uh, uh, again like ecosystems in this country. And that and that thing that we talked about earlier, that binding factor that like those wildlife all belong to us. I think that's like America to me, like its the most democratic part about. Uh, America mm. is that the wildlife belongs to the people, which is universal. Even if that's on private land, like you are a private landowner, but you do not own that wildlife. Now, yeah. Some people yeah. think they do, but ultimately they don't. Now, if you're in Texas and you got a high fence, sure, that's a different situation because you really do own those wildlife with ear tags in their ears. But for the majority, wildlife is belongs to the people, and I think that maybe that's like this universal thing that binds us. Um, I worry my biggest probably worry is that people are becoming, like you talked about that 9% of only you know, people that hunt and fish in this country. More and more people are moving to cities. They're getting disconnected from the land, disconnected yeah. from the wildlife. And so America in general, I'm getting, I'm getting nervous about that. I'm getting really nervous about that because as more and more people are displaced from the land, they don't have that connection and why do they care about
0: it? and you know i think it's well i think they stop seeing us too they stop seeing human beings as participants in it absolutely absolutely
1: and i think that participant thing instead of an observer right like yeah most of those people that are going to yellowstone park they're observers they're sure. not participants right where we are interacting with animals fish, in wildlife in a way different way than people that are just looking at them through binoculars not that that's the wrong thing i even you know birders you know I'm a big huge bird nerd like oh really I I saw some cardinals I mean I'm wearing the cardinal hat but I saw some cardinals we don't have them out west
0: yeah dude
1: it was super red who was
0: that for uh Bianca Germain she's a photographer uh she's she's based in uh Colorado okay and uh and uh you know Lindsey Brown yeah Lindsey's been around for a long time yeah yeah. so two of them we were we were down in Texas and Lindsey's like is that a cardinal over there and I was like yeah, it's like carn- you know but like you don't even think about it i've met dudes you know americans that have never seen a possum before mm-hmm. it blows my mind that there's i mean they don't have possums in montana do they? no no yeah it gets too cold yeah dude i mean yeah. there's a possum is just a it's a despised animal right you know they're so commonplace they're so mm. familiar you know that idea of familiarity breeds contempt but yeah sorry to, to jump in on that but yeah, dude. Like, just I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that, that uh, exactly what you're talking about gets gets magnified within certain communities, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and then to, then to even, I mean, I've talked about this with Black folks, right? Like, you got a population of people. You know, uh, hundred and fifty years ago, ninety-five percent of you know whatever. I'm some huge majority. I better not use numbers because someone will come get me. (laughs) The majority of Black people in America were lived in the South. They lived in uh, rural areas and they uh, were associated with agriculture, right? You go through the Great Migration and all that stuff, the terror in the twenties and the thirties and forties and whatnot, right? This mass exodus out of the South. Now, most still like the over fifty percent of Black people live in the South. Like what we would consider the South in America, right? But black people have become much more concentrated in urban areas, right? So, and especially the places where black folks moved to out of the South a hundred years ago, it was like Chicago, Detroit, Indianapolis, right? Uh, uh, Minneapolis, mm-hmm. uh, Baltimore, DC, like uh, whatever Jacksonville, Florida, whatever these places are and within a generation or two like people like start to forget it's like dude you've been here for 500 years for 400 of them (laughs) right like we had our hands in the dirt and now Mm -hmm. for 60 years maybe your people have been out of it and suddenly this is something you don't do this is something that is uh that you don't belong and involved in right it's like foreign yeah and it's 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 really like to me it's like losing a uh, losing a birthright you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not real big on that birthright stuff, but dude, I, you know, I, I, I'm influenced by, you know, uh, American, uh, ethos and zeitgeist and all that stuff too. And, you know, that idea of, you know, individualism, that idea of like being able, even if you don't really, the idea that you could do it by yourself, mm-hmm. Right. The idea that you could go explore—I th- I find those to be like very American ideas. I feel like they're rooted in the culture. Mm-hmm. I'd also say vigilanteism is rooted in the culture. If you look at like every every hero for the last hundred years, right? It's a vigilante, right? Mm-hmm. There's—it's it, why you would never—you would—I don't—you th- would never get rid of guns in America. It will never be Australia, totally, right? Like it's unless unless you know I'm successful, yeah. Unless land comes and gets it. <laughs> uh it yeah just the idea that yeah i don't even have to get into that man uh i man, you know it's i've been i've been working on some projects and that's part of why i'm thinking about this idea of america but also what i really got struck by last year when i did my turkey tour last year and i you know spent some several weeks out west living in a van and interacting with the land and the animals and the places, right? And just a lot of watching the topography change by myself and driving across places, right? Mm -hmm. And seeing what you're talking about, like Western Oregon, so different than Eastern Oregon. Totally. Uh, And, but just the idea that I could be like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to have a little hermit crab house and I'm going to go to all these different places. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know, walk into a chunk of woods by myself in East Oregon that I've never been to. That I've just been looking on my phone on Onyx. I know the, you know, I'm looking at stuff, and I'm like, man, I feel like there's turkeys in there. Yeah. And go down there and get a gobble, right? Like, man, you want to talk about really leaning into that idea of like individualism, or like you can go, you can go do some stuff, uh, go test yourself, right? Yeah, man. Or you could just you can still find a way to be that's not influenced by other people like tethered yeah man like yeah. you're you're existing and you're participating and you're living uh, kind of on your own terms right like look i'm still driving on roads right like I still got a cell phone all this other stuff but i can be by myself i can I can be by myself and like no one's around and I can like wake up next to the snake river. And there's like, I got this memory of waking up next to the snake river at like four in the morning, like all sleepy in this mist. And, uh, there's these uh, mule deer, like 20 yards in front of me. It looks like a Disney film, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's like elk over here. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and yeah, man, just like the relationship, I feel different because my relationship to the space is different. If I'm in the bayou, everything's really close. It's like being enveloped. To me, there's kind of like a a safety to that humidity and that like everything's around you. And out there, there's, I feel like a sense of vulnerability. Not only is it definitely, it's not my, it's mine, but in a, in a tenderly kind of way, right? Like it's, it'll never be mine the way like, a swamp in East Arkansas would be, right? And so I feel vulnerable and I feel like it's big and it's open and there's, there's uh, I feel like I get better and stronger and, and more capable by doing that kind of stuff. Okay, so you feel
1: very comfortable in a place that you know best. Sure. And so I have places in Montana where I feel super comfortable. Mm-hmm. Now, I still, I could spend a lifetime of exploring in Montana and never even scratch the surface. And you kind of talked about that down here in Arkansas as well, right? But when I told you in all that time I was spending down in Louisiana, in the marsh, there's dudes down there that are 6th, 7th generation Cajuns. Yeah, They feel at home down there, right? And they're in this marsh and that, you know, I, that could be a whole discussion that we talk about in the land of used to bees and how that place has been disappearing, you know, since the 1920s. Yeah. And, but we'd be in the marsh and we'd be zipping along in this boat. I got no mountains for reference. Yeah. Like if, I, if I got, if, if, the, if, if, if they had a heart attack and died and I had to get out of there, yeah, I'd be terrified. Sure, Absolutely. I'd sure. Be, I'm lost, like literally lost, both mentally and physically. Like, I, like bad for me. In Montana, I get lost. I start walking downhill, hit a creek, walk along that creek, it's going to hit a bigger creek at some point. I'm going to hit a river, I'm going to find people, right? But yeah. out there in that marsh, so I think that I'm hearing you and I wonder, though, if it's like if it's newer to you, right, as you're exploring and so it feels like that you're not as comfortable there because it's not as uh, familiar. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, if, if you took me down to the bayou right now <laughs> and said drop me off at some little duck hole. We're like, I'm going to be back in a few hours. I think I might be terrified in some ways, you know? Just oh, want. dude, I mean, I could
0: I could kill somebody just taking them out to the middle of flooded timber. I mean, that's the easiest stuff ever to get lost, and it all looks exactly the same.
1: But you know it, right? Like, you know it, and so, like, I don't, do you get lost very often?
0: Uh, no, man, but I'm like, uh, I I really, man, without Onyx, I'd be lost all the time. Like, this sounds like an ad for that company, but, dude, it's just, like, the greatest it's thing It's a game-changer. Uh you know man so that's a that's a good observation i think it's probably like all of the above right mm-hmm. i think that man i've just in the last couple of years i've been just some just breathtaking places uh i've been up in these mountains in utah like in january in the snow dude just like real different than anything i'd ever done before just amazing mm-hmm. uh <sighs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you what out West, there's like two places I've been that I was like, dude, I could, I could be out here. This place feels like I, resonates with me. And it was, uh, that Willamette river Valley in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Right now. Also, I've only been there like in the spring. So it's just like lush and green oh, and yeah. beautiful. Right. <laughs> yeah, come on. Uh, but then also, man, driving across like everything that used to be like Nez Perce, like that, Eastern Oregon, tip of Washington, across the Panhandle of Idaho, man. Yep. That place. I was driving across Idaho, and I was like, dude, I just want, I just want to like sink back into this stuff. It's uh, the wildest place in the Lower 48, dude, right I, there. I'm going. I'll be there in like six and a half weeks, man. What are you doing? Uh, well, I'm doing. I'm turkey hunting my way, like th- Texas, California, Oregon, and then uh, I'm going to end up i'm gonna bear hunt western montana okay uh and idaho's still up a little bit in the air it depends on i just got like a chunk of time in there but i'd like to turkey hunt for a few days in that panhandle uh mm-hmm. lots and, of
1: turkeys there
0: dude i'm I'm also kind of i mean i'll be real with you i'm scared man like the idea of a grizzly bear like and it never i never even thought to be scared of it because it was like never a possibility uh but I had a little bear encounter this year where I was like skinning a bear and then like a way bigger bear came in on me and it was like ten minutes to dark. And this these were black bears, you yeah. know? And I was like I yelled at that bear and it didn't like run off right away. And man, I was I was puckered up. Yeah. Uh yeah, I mean these grizzlies seem like they could they could put a cramp your style a little bit. So uh
1: so I've grown up like so The Bob Marshall Wilderness, which is like 1.1 million acres. It's about an hour from my house. Super wild place. It's my favorite piece of public land. It's had grizzly bears in it for a long time. Mm -hmm. When I hunt there, it's such a... My senses... I was talking about this earlier with somebody. It's like my spidey senses are so much different, right? Because so like you... You're observing things in a different way. Every little sound you hear, like you're just, I mean, it's exhausting in a lot of ways. Mm, Yeah. Because you're just, you're on point all the time. I love that. I really love it. I love that they're on the landscape. Uh, This place where we've been hunting for decades. Knock on wood, we've never had a problem with a grizzly bear, but we've been around them the entire time. And so these
0: bears- Like laid eyes on them? Or you just know they're there?
1: I've only seen a few grizzlies in the wild, but know they're there. Like when it rained today, like it did here, you know, you have a deluge of rain up there. That next morning, you'll see tracks of grizzly bears that came 50 yards from camp, went around you, and then came right back, and, you know, 50 yards later.
0: Dude, that's scary.
1: It's super scary. Yeah. So they're around you all the time. And I've heard them, you know, before. Like you've heard things seen tons of bear grass ripped up and like that's when you're like holy crap like somebody's been either feeding here or something's buried here Mm -hmm. the one interaction I had with a grizzly bear uh, was terrifying I never want to be that close to a grizzly bear ever again and now it's not just the Bob Marshall but it's all of western Montana it's all the panhandle like you should expect for grizzly bears to be around everywhere Yeah. full circle back to this John McCain thing earlier that study that came out and had these bears recovered at like 900 bears in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, they should be delisted right now. And part of the reason they should be delisted is the bears that are, I think, causing the most problems. And I, I mean, I don't hunt outside of Bozeman where they've got a lot more interaction, especially bow hunters with uh, grizzly bears. But I think most of the bears that are causing problems are either older bears or younger bears. And they're getting themselves in trouble, and those are the ones that we should be hunting and and um, taking care of. Because the majority of those other bears want nothing to do with us, man, nothing to do with us. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, you know, let's get rid of all the bears. And I'm like, man, there's this there's this wildness. I mean, it's part of the BHA, you know, logo. When I first came to BHA, I was like, man, there's there's grizzly bears are hardly in anywhere like why why is that our logo and then i kind of started thinking about it and they just represent the true true wild that we still have in this country and so that ability and now that they're going out from the bob marshall they're going into these other still wild places like i think they're a symbol of that and i i really welcome them on the landscape but we need to delist them so that we can manage them
0: so that uh and and so the deal with like grizzlies too man is like folks down here aren't like even aware of it right it's like nothing to even consider uh but like you live in a place where like you're talking about they encounter people right like it's it's same with wolves right like this is the part of the country where and it's not just that those are the places for grizzlies and wolves those are the places where like a few hung on and they're starting to reintroduce them but Those critters used to be ubiquitous, right? Grizzly used to be everywhere.
1: Out on the plains, those bears. Yeah. Lewis and Clark talked about those big bears that were 1,000 pounds plus throughout the middle of the plains.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, and just like really, like how quickly that stopped being the case. Uh, Yeah, really like a blip in history, like in time. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you what it is too. I, I imagine that the deal with grizzlies is, you know, people obviously have a very different relationship. The public has a different relationship with bears. Uh, I think largely because of, you know, teddy bears, Winnie the Pooh, whatever, like there's this anthropomorphizing of bears. And, and people feel, it's the thing I've, and I haven't had bad reactions, but it's the thing I've gotten the most reaction for uh, from just people generally, mm-hmm. is like the last couple of years taking black bears. And, you know, one of the questions you get a lot is, like, do you eat it, All right? And uh, it's, like, well, one, like, this whole Black Bear Bonanza, this little cooking thing. Like, dude, I'm talking, like, I can speak to black bears, right? Top shelf meat. I mean, top shelf. I prefer it to venison. I'd rather have it any day than venison. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think with grizzlies, I mean, I don't know if this is a dirty secret, man, but, like, I, <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that the vast majority of grizzly bears brown bears that get killed don't get eaten by people i think they
1: they're not it's not required
0: yeah uh and i've also you know i've heard people say oh you can't eat them they're full of parasites or whatever i've also read like some teddy roosevelt you ever read like when teddy roosevelt was out there you know like on this kind of like walkabout uh in the areas we're talking about and he's like hunting he's like gathering specimens and skins for like the smithsonian mm-hmm. and they talk about like killing a grizzly bear cub and how how tender and delicious it was i've
1: never heard that story yeah
0: man dude roosevelt's got some
1: he was a horrible hunter but he did a lot of cool stuff
0: yeah man just just was, there's just some good some bad but like all very interesting if you like yeah. look at his writings and a lot of it's just like public canon so you can just download it for free online yeah uh but dude i just can't imagine i imagine if you got uh I I would imagine that if you got an interior bear that wasn't living off of like half flesh. yeah zombie zombie salmon, like, right? Like rotting yeah. Like flesh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's eating the same thing that a black bear is. Yeah. I mean, I'm into the idea of it cuz I'm like, dude, that'd be like 10 black bears worth of meat. You know, like I But even even the fact that I've killed black bears, man, like a grizzly bear would feel different. You know, like it would. Uh, there's a magnitude, I think, to it, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's an animal that really kind of uh, it helps you gain perspective, right? Like we feel so powerful and we feel so able-bodied, and there's nothing you can do against it.
1: Nothing, nothing.
0: Yeah. That scene
1: from the revenant you know i don't know if you've seen that yeah yeah, you know, where rough, that bear's yeah, yeah. you know breathing over the top of him and he's throwing him around like he's nothing like i've watched bears you know move boulders that would take you and i with both of our legs maybe even to budget you know an inch where they've got like one paw and they're just flipping it over like it's nothing right yeah but i think the going back to the eating thing i have i've, I've eaten grizzly oh have you mm-hmm. there was somebody that brought some down from alaska what, the, what was your verdict i mean it was just fine. I yeah. think majority of that is how you cook it, right? Sure. Because, like, you know, I mean, you hear this all the time being a duck hunter. Oh, duck's horrible. Yeah, yeah <laughs> And I no, always that's... laugh at him and be like, dude, somebody overcooked that thing, and, like, it was not good, right? Yeah. But, so I think it's probably how you cook it. But I think the thing, if we when we do delist these bears, if I ever get the chance to hunt them, I think it would be, like, a privilege to eat one Partly because you're embodying that spirit, right? Of that wildness that you're talking about that is just... They're the biggest, baddest boys in the woods, like, by far. Yeah. By far. And, like, within the Native American culture, like, they don't, like, they don't really want them hunted. Mm-hmm. They don't want to eat them because of what they mean to them spiritually. And that's not... I'm not going to universally say that, right? Like, yeah. I'm not gonna, but a lot of, you know a few native americans that i've talked to like they're really against like the hunting side of it and really against the eating side of it just because of the spiritual connection Mm -hmm. i look at it in a different way where i would like to be spiritually connected to that animal and actually eat it and internalize it and feel like i'm getting some of that wildness inside of me you know and i yeah um you know you know a lot of a lot of people in montana are super against like any kind of hunting of grizzly bears there's a lot of people in Montana that like don't want any grizzly bears on the landscape at all and I think it's uh, again it's one of these species that requires big large tracts of land like you're talking about and I think it's emblematic of those places and the wildness and I think that we can figure out a way to live with bears but we need to delist them so that we can manage them in a proper way and I I think they're back. I don't think we're ever going to go through this extricate, you know, extra whatever, extirpation. Just, thank you. It's, it's still early in the day, but you know, I can't say that word. Um, but I think that like, we're never going to do that again. And they're recovered multitudes of what they were supposed to be recovered just to delist them anyways. And so I think it's time to delist those bears and get them, you know, keep them on the landscape and so people appreciate them versus, uh, are trying to fight with them.
0: Are folks, are folks only hunting them in Alaska? Can you hunt them in the lower 48?
1: Nope, you could for a little bit in Wyoming mm-hmm. until there was a lawsuit and then they got stopped. So they were hunting, I can't remember what the numbers were, but they could hunt you know, a certain amount of bears and it was like all on a, on a quota system and very regulated through a, a permit system. And then once you hit that quote, it was over, but that was only maybe two, three seasons of that happened. And then that, been, that's been shut down.
0: Yeah, man. You know what you were, what you were talking about. So like my first thought was, you know, I could hear someone, you're talking about like embodying, like embodying the spirit of the wild. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I could see someone being like, man, this is some hokey shit, right? <laughs> but dude, there is a thing with bears. Uh, Bears feel Bears feel very different to me And uh, I would say that I have a I think I have a reverence for them That doesn't make Killing them and eating them Like that's not a perversion of that Uh, But if I'm gonna kill the bear Like I gotta eat all of it I mean like All of it take care of it think about it a little bit you know when i'm doing it uh now it's normalized in my life right like the uh, pull a roast out blah blah sure but i i always take uh there's always a moment to take stock of it uh i think they do they interact with the landscape differently right and i i think that's what it is i mean and i put i don't know if i've said this on the podcast or not man when so this my baby that was born two months ago uh like, when he was born, man, like, he came out, right, and they take him, they did it skin-to-skin, skin you know, so they put it right on the mama. Yeah. And so, you know, probably five seconds after this kid came, came out of him, my wife, dude, I put a bear claw on his hand. Like, he's like, eh, eh, eh. and I put a bear claw on oh, his right. hand from this bear that I killed. Because, uh, man, it just felt special, right, man? Like, it felt like, man, maybe I can – I want him to do and be whatever he wants to be, man. But I'd like to root him, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I like—I did, man. I fed Marianne a, a lot of, a lot of bear meat when she was pregnant with him. I'm like, dude, I want to, I want this boy like to be grown with bear meat. Uh, and like I ate the, I ate the heart from that bear with like some people that I felt like would give a shit. you know? Totally. Uh, totally. Yeah. It. it
1: man, That's that it respect special. thing, though. That I think that. just as you described that, that's part of the problem I think that we have in our hunting culture right now is we're talking less about this hokey shit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, if you go on Instagram, none of that hokey shit's really happening, right? Yeah. And it's, that's how the general public sees you and I as hunters. But what you just described and how, like, you feel connected to that animal, come on, man. Like, that is, like... That's a beautiful thing, and something that you're passing on, and probably are participating on for like that's been going on for eons. Yeah, yeah eons, yeah. and that reverence, right? Like when those in those cave paintings, and it's of, of a bear. You know, they 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 revered the bear, like you said. They're like just, we can tell they're different. I don't know. It's like. When you skin them, they kind of look like a person a little bit with that musculature, you know? Like, yeah, That's yeah. like that connection there.
0: I think it's that, man, I think it's that, one, so like one, we have that like mammalian fulfill, familiarity with them, right? Yeah. Two, I think there's a dexterity that they move with that like a cervid doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. Like they can articulate their fingers and like their muscles and all that stuff, right? And they yeah. can, there's also when you see them at, when you see them uh just in their natural habitat, like they roll and they loaf and there, there's like a, there can be a uh, interpreted playfulness there, sure. right? Uh, and I also think it's the fact that they do not exist as a prey animal. I think a lot of times they get read, people think that like bears are stupid. And that's not it at all. It's one, they don't have great vision, right? So, like, their smell, their ability to it's smell impactful. is yeah. insane. But they don't have great vision. So if the wind's in your favor, you can actually get relatively close to them, especially if they're like hoovering up acorns or berries or something. But they, man, they, they move through the woods. It's it's There's like a nonchalantness to it, right? They're just not, like a deer, like a white-tailed deer, was like most people think about when they think about hunting in America, right? Uh, it's just like, by its nature it's like a terrified animal like it's always (laughs) looking down looking up eating looking up right stomping its foot sniffing the wind Mm -hmm. it it's jittery Mm -hmm. right like they're jumping they're ducking arrows like they just are keyed up all the time and a bear isn't like that uh and and i'd even say there's a there there was the, the bear that i got this year man there was a I, got, I saw it, and I got, like, keyed up, and then I kind of relaxed. I said, that bear's going to come through. Like, you're going to get the shot. Just relax. That bear's not looking up. It's not bothered. It's not worried about you. And I think there, it, feels, it, it feels like a bit more like being a fly on the wall, as opposed to, especially like Arkansas, where most of the deer get killed over corn, right? Like, you're sitting there keyed up, waiting, expecting. Mm-hmm uh to see an animal behave in a way that might not be entirely natural, but like just intersecting spot and stalk uh you know like a prince of the woods like it's just gonna it's gonna be a different experience i it's funny you say prince because I was
1: sitting here thinking as you were talking like that like almost like royalty and so it's really funny it's regal said, man it, it's like and it's and like that that air of not having to care like I think you know I've never thought about that way but like nothing praise on them right yeah us we're the only ones or a
0: bigger one of them
1: totally and so like that's the only thing that they have to really worry about sure you know and i think you know black bears in grizzly country have to worry about grizzlies and that's where that grizzly is just kind of one step up from a yeah what's a a big
0: what's a big boar black or grizzly bear i mean
1: those those, yeah nothing nothing Nothing. (laughs) nothing i mean like you know if they go across the highway and get hit by you know a semi truck you know or a train other than that nothing is
0: how how is that like commonplace for a grizzly bear to get hit by a car
1: there i mean i don't it's it happens every single year okay but like i mean there was a big huge boar in lincoln montana that's like about an hour east of montana on highway or missoula on highway 200 up to blackfoot mm-hmm. he was an older bear and he got hit by a semi he's now stuffed in the forest service uh, office there he was 950 pounds and this was in the spring when he's light. Yeah. And his teeth were all ground down. I mean, he was an old, old bear. And so, I mean, we're getting those bears I talked about with Lewis and Clark that were kinda of going out in the thousand pound plus, that's these bears that retracted back into the bald marshall. Mm-hmm. So especially on the eastern side where the plains meet the mountains, that's where those big bears are living. And they're coming out now and they're following these river systems, right? And so they have these riparian zones that they can be pretty safe in. They're only probably traveling at night, you yeah. know? And then they, and so they're getting, you know, 200, 300 miles away from like that core habitat, which means, again, that they're recovered. But that also means that we have these thousand pound plus bears roaming around, you know, people and that aren't expecting them to be there. And so, uh, again, I'm, I'm so glad they're back in the landscape. I think they're regal, uh, and they define wildness um and i respect them and they need to be delisted from the endangered species list just so that we treat them
0: like any other animal do you think i actually don't know so i i think i understand the like the public zeitgeist feeling about like not doing it but i would imagine there's other are there other like more nefarious reasons to keep them listed I mean, there's they, like someone getting rich off of it. No, or?
1: well, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that are there's like a I would say the same thing with wolves, especially around Yellowstone. It's like these things have names
0: hmm.
1: and there's They're a lot like of attractions. Yeah, there's a lot of money that's being made off of, you know, Grizzly Bear 455 that has an ear and it's, you know, a tag mm-hmm. in its ear, like was collared at one point when everybody knows who it is, right? Like that, like that bear feels like it belongs to them. And yeah. Yes, there's some money that's being made off of that. I think the biological reasons that they're talking about they're talking about climate change in particular, and there's some you know some food that they eat that is no longer in abundance and I get that, but you know this bears are they eat everything man, and so as as and grizzly bears in particular, and so as you take one food source away, they can go over to another right and to me that the science piece of not wanting to delist them is a red herring, and and I think it's just people, people are using the science that is partially true, or all the way true, but not specific. If it, if, if grizzly bears only ate, uh, what is it, pine bark, pine cone, like the little nuts that come out of those, white bark pine, then yeah, they'd be in big trouble. But they eat everything, they eat everything, and so I like. of all the animals as long as we have big open like landscapes to be on they will figure out a way to survive and they they eat bugs like crazy like crazy especially in the spring right Mm -hmm. And, and like they they'll get into a huckleberry patch and sit and just gorge themselves on huckleberries you know and so like they are eating all sorts of different things and so i don't i think people don't want them to be hunted they don't, and so they don't want to ever see them delisted. And uh, I think that's doing the Endangered Species Act a disservice. Why should we have the Endangered Species list if we're not trying to recover species and then take them off of the list? That's the whole idea is put them in the emergency room when they're in trouble, which grizzly bears were. Now they've recovered. It's time for them to get out of the emergency room. It doesn't mean that it's like shoot them all now, right? Like I think, but I think that. It's doing a disservice to the Endangered Species Act to keep them on the list. And so delisting them uh, is not only important for the bears and the management of those bears, but I think it's also important to just that mechanism that we have to protect wildlife in this country.
0: Hmm. And then is it that you think it's the same argument with wolves or a similar argument? I mean, wolves, I, I would say yes.
1: There's just some people that you know, love wolves and think they're gorgeous and sh- they should never be hunted. The fecundity rate, so the amount, of, like, the amount of babies that wolves have compared to grizzly bears is like night and day. And so we have to pay way more attention to grizzly bears as we delist them to make sure that like, if there's you know, 20 bears that get hit by cars next year, and then hunters, let's say we can hunt them, and we, you know, we kill 15, and then a couple bears get in trouble, and we got to kill them because they're you know, around people. Like, we have to really pay attention to those populations to make sure that we're maintaining those populations. Wolves... Mm.
0: Man. <laughs> they have big litters. Big
1: litters, man. Like, so their fecundity rate, their ability to reproduce like, and replace themselves is so much higher than grizzly bears. Grizzly bears, gotta, I think they've got to be two or three years old before they can even have babies. And they'll have you know, a pair of cubs. They got them for a year and a half, two years, and they can, you know, they go in and have another. Where wolves are doing that every single year. Yeah. So to me, wolves are a totally different animal. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of angst around wolves. Uh, I'll tell you this quick story. I'm getting off on a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's important oh, yeah, for people go for to it, listen man. to this. So as wolves, you know, were reintroduced in Montana, but also we're coming back naturally, as you described. They got a huge bad rap, and they're toothy animals, you know, and, uh, and the big bad wolf, you know, we've all heard mm-hmm, about. Sure. they little kids. And so they come back, and there's a spot where I hunt uh, elk down the east fork of the Bitterroot, which is about an hour and a half from my house. The elk population down there, timing-wise, when these wolves came back, just crashed. Like, absolutely crashed. And, and so, where did the fingers get pointed? They got pointed at the wolves, like, immediately. Which I understand. Wolves are new on the landscape. So, instead of just knee-jerking and saying it's all the wolf problems, we, with my little local rod and gun club, Hellgate Hunters and Anglers, the Elk Foundation... Or Valley County um, uh, Wildlife Association got together, pulled some money together and said, let's actually do a study and see what's actually going on. So when the population crashed, there had been a major fire, like scorch earth fire, like burning all the duff, like it's nothing but dirt left on the ground. Mm-hmm. We were, there were so many elk down there. The last two weeks of the season, you could kill, uh, if, it was, if, you, if it was brown, it was down. So you could kill a bull or a cow. I remember in one well, week... But they were
0: just all pushed in one spot?
1: Yes, as soon as like, the snow was driving them down. Not in one spot necessarily, but they're driving them down from high elevation. Gotcha. So it's easier to get to. But the population was so high, this is right before the crash, like, I remember one weekend we killed 200 elk, not we, but like we the people, killed yeah. 200 elk that went through that check station. So all these different factors are happening. So we do this study. It was mostly, it was all predator study. And so they looked at it for, I think it was like three years And uh, they found out that it was actually black bears that were having the biggest effect on these elk population. Because in the spring, when those elk are dropping calves, smell. You're talking about that amazing smell Mm -hmm. they have. They go smell these calves and just kick their ass. And so all these kill sites they were finding with calves were all black bear related. Then it was mountain lions. And then wolves was third. So they got that information out to the public. People are like, oh, well, let's start killing more bears. Let's start chasing more mountain lions with dogs. And, you know, let's if we can kill a wolf, let's kill a wolf. Though they're very cryptic and very hard to hunt. The same time, that fire I talked about, now it's 10 years later from that fire. Browse, so the food for elk is like amazing, sure. amazing. And so they got all this fruit food there. We had to shut the season down so we're not, like, you know, we're like very highly reducing because the population was down. So we're not killing 200 in a weekend. Now that population's on the rise again. But that science, I'm like, I say this because again, wolves get such a bad rap, such a bad rap. And have they influenced elk populations? Absolutely. But in this case in particular, it was the black bears that were having the biggest effect on that population. And once the people found that out, we could change our management regime a little bit or like our emphasis. And lo and behold, all, and I'm not gonna say one of those factors again, like that fire was a major factor, a major factor. But all those things are now working together. Elk population's back on the rise. And so, you know, I tell that story because again, like wolves get such a bad rap. Are uh, elk using the landscape in different ways? Absolutely. I'm not a great elk hunter. I've killed a handful of elk in my life. But I have friends that are amazing elk hunters. Wolves, no wolves, they, they still kill elk. They still kill elk, and it's because they're really good elk hunters. Yeah. So,
0: what's your hunting? What's your what's your bread and butter?
1: I'm such a generalist man. I mean, I think that I always say this: um, if I could only do one thing, I would waterfowl hunt, mm-hmm. and that's because it reminds me. Of like being in the blind with my dad when I was young. Yeah. I think uh watching the marsh wake up in the morning, I think it's amazing. Yep. I think watching the dog work is absolutely amazing. I think being able to sit there with you and like talk, you know, like yeah. just like the camaraderie I think is amazing. I also think it's, uh you know, I have, quite, I mean, there's spots that I have to work at to get into, but a lot of the spots I go to, like I can go hunt them in the morning and be done by noon and then, you know, back to work in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. I can't do that with elk. I can't do that with, you know, I can do that with whitetail, but I can't do that with elk in particular. So I think as a sense of the connection for me, but then also the sense of ease <laughs> in some ways, you know, that I can do it all the time yeah. um, is a big thing for me. But, you know, I mean, I've I've killed moose, I've killed bighorn sheep, I've killed antelope, you know, both Whitetails and mule deer. I Where'd you kill a big hornet? So that was uh, just east of Missoula. And uh, that was one of my most arduous hunts of, of all time. Uh, it's a long story, but like I... It took, How
0: hard was it to get that tag?
1: It's super hard. I, I mean, so the guy, there was only two tags in this district that were given out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Myself and this other guy, Kevin Brown, got it. he's like 75 years old. He had 30 points. I had seven. I'd killed a Bighorn U seven years before that and then uh, been able to get seven points and got it. So I got super lucky. That's the beauty of Montana's system is it doesn't – like you don't have to get a certain level of points. Mm -hmm. You're eligible from the first time you can draw. Now, with one, you don't have as much chance, but, you know, at seven, I had more.
0: Is that just like you got put in the lottery seven times? Okay, so it's not about you accumulating a bunch. I got you. It's just the more – I have more chances. The more points you have, the more chances you have. But
1: yeah, that hunt, it took me 18 days. I rolled my truck, like totaled my truck, like wow. on the like seventh day. Um, That wasn't 18 days in a row, but 18 days total. And uh, and uh then at one point I had a big horn in my sights. I'm leaning up against this Ponderosa, got a perfect rest, take my gun off safe, safety. One, two, three, as I'm pulling the trigger, That branch that I was on, I think I leaned into the tree, but it broke as I pulled the trigger. I go ass over tea kettle down this steep mountain. Oh, my God. Dust, you know, dirt everywhere. You know, gun did go off, but it was safe as soon as, you know, I pulled the trigger. Uh Get up, look for blood for the next day and a half, never found anything. Went to, like, areas I knew that they were bedding, never found any blood at all, And, and finally... Figured out that I could go, you know, chase them again, and ended up killing a, uh, you know, not a gigantic
0: ram, but like a six and a half, seven year old ram. Dude, that's still, those, those are, uh, those critters are really coveted just because there's so few opportunities. Yeah. Well, uh, they're so cool, dude. Yeah, they're, they're, dude, they're like a whole nother thing. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of dancing around a fascination with sheep, because you know they're, just body wise, right? They're like so stout. They're just they're different. They're different. Uh, they taste amazing. Uh, it's kind
1: of like this sweet taste, if that's the way describe uh, hmm. so i describe it. So I killed that U first, and now that I've killed this ram, I've been putting in for a U. I haven't gotten it since I got that ram. Like, you're supposed to wait seven years until I can apply again for a ram, but I can apply for a U again right away. Okay. So I would burn my points if I got that U. Just because it tastes better? I just want to taste it, man. It's yeah. so good. And, and if you look at, like, the mining camps that were going out west – They would always go after sheep and partly because of like they taste delicious but they're also they're not scared of you and they ball up almost like fish you know and like and and so like as a market hunter that's trying to provide meals for your uh mining camp they were easy to hunt okay and so we did a you know those they were very successful (laughs) at hunting those animals and you know push them into the recesses of so that's why
0: they're so hard now just because the ones that are left went to the impenetrable places totally
1: and we and we we knocked those populations down a lot too so but yeah they're they're an amazing animal yeah they're just so stocky and then that you know (laughs) you've probably seen videos of them like hitting heads together right i mean i've got you know the skull and those horns and i mean it's heavy heavy and like and like to think that those things are carrying that around all the time and they just and we talked about kind of the royalty of like the grizzly bears. I think like, like bighorn sheep are kind of like the royalty of the ungulates, you know, mm. I mean, they're just a, an amazing animal. The places they live, you know, I wouldn't have gone uh, to some of these places where I chased them around unless I was chasing them around. And I thought it was, you know, it was I'd say the same thing about mountain goats, I've uh, not killed a mountain goat. I had a mountain goat tag the year my daughter was born and, didn't end up killing one uh probably because my wife told me I couldn't spend the night sure uh, I could go out there during the day and I'd always find them and then have to be turned around in dark and um but the places these animals live are just so wild um and and not the places that you would normally go and so I think they they get you to pl- get you to do things that you wouldn't normally
0: do yeah 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 and y- y- you can find some stuff out about yourself doing that uh <laughs> yes Shit, man. Well, I don't know, man. I don't know where James is at, but I got to go to Walmart and get some uh, some corn husk, man. Start making tamales. Uh, but yeah, so tomorrow you'll be at the Black Bear Bonanza. Yeah. And then day after that, go back to Missoula. Uh, and then what? Just bebopping around the country?
1: We got, uh, we got rendezvous. Yeah, rendezvous this year. Two weeks in Missoula. Um, St. Patrick's Day is going to be sweet. We got a brew fest on that on uh, Friday, March. 17th. Oh, cool. It's like a Friday, March 17th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be crazy. Um, after that, then I head out to. I'm actually going down to St. Louis for the North American Wildlife Conference. Okay. But it's before they're not playing yet. It's still during spring training, and so I'm not going to get this. This is my one chance to go see a game. I'm not going to be able to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, what do I got? I got like a DC trip and a couple other things, and then you know. Yes, I'm traveling around the country all the time. But it's uh, one of the things, the last thing I guess I'll leave folks with is why am I in Arkansas right now? It's for the Black Bear Bonanza in particular, but it's also such a support this chapter. What they are doing, what they did with Pine Tree, what they're going to be doing with some inaccessible public land that will be announced soon. They're doing it all as volunteers. Yeah. This Black Bear Bonanza already has... 500 tickets sold and who knows who's going to show up at the door because it's supposed to be really nice tomorrow like what they're doing here in Arkansas I'm just trying to support man and just come down and say thank you it's also a way for me to uh as I was talking about earlier like I'm not going to get to hunt or fish while I'm here but like to see the landscape and so I know more what it's about Mm -hmm. and like talking to folks like you that like when you talked about you know the the plethora of opportunities that are here in Arkansas. You know, like like I didn't know that as a kid coming from Montana. Sure, you know? yeah, 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 So man. it's like it's uh, I'm learning a lot while I'm here.
0: I say pound for pound, I'd put it up against anywhere. Yeah, I mean an elk, a black bear, an alligator. You know,
1: oh those alligators. That's one species. Like I was talking about grizzly bears that terrify me. Those alligators that can be in like a couple inches of water, you yeah. don't even know they're there, and they can be twenty feet long like that. Like that's Terrifies me, absolutely.
0: Man, it's like a well. It's also like a different kind of. Uh, I think it makes a different part of your brain tingle too, like that reptile. Oh yeah. Uh, like, you know, back when we were monkeys, like going to get a drink of water, kind of stuff. Uh, but no, dude, it's a cool place, man. I know you were going to try and weren't you trying to duck hunt or something? Yeah, I was trying. This I was going to
1: try to come down in January, and it just didn't work out. But you know, you talked about flooded timber. I've hunted ducks down here once. Uh, went to Stuck Art you know for the whole craziness and what do they got like quack radio there (laughs) like you know it's like the duck culture there is unbelievable yeah yeah and I had a buddy and I was like man I really want to go hunt flooded timber and he's like all right. so we stayed at his little trailer house and in the morning we got on our ATVs and it's dark out and we go and then we get to this water and we're going to the water I'm like okay this is like we're starting to get to where we're supposed to be and sun comes up and yeah we're around like there must have been oaks 12 oaks and then in front of like a flooded like pea field oh yeah (laughs) so like i mean we had a i mean we had a rad hunt like i I remember that there was big huge groups of teal that came in and a bunch of mallards but i still have yet to do that classic like kind of stand up against the tree and i don't even need to like hunt i just want to see it and what it's like you know i've got some places back home like river bottoms that are all cottonwoods and so those birds do have to come in hot right like they really have to drop nothing again though that i think you know that i would see down here but i want to come back so bad and that's
0: hard dude honestly like what you're looking for is it's hard to guarantee somebody because it's it's so pressured down here Mm -hmm. and that stuff is in such demand Mm -hmm. uh but yeah no dude when it when you do it right like especially on public land because there is just a little, you feel a little bit more pride because it's mm-hmm. just you had to. Usually, like for me, it's not that I beat somebody; I said I outsmarted some people. I found a place some people didn't know about or didn't want to work to get to. Yeah, uh, but man, yeah, it's a it's a magical thing. And I'll I'll tell you what else I realized too is that it's like duck to me. That's what duck hunting is, and then everything else is like is all can be really really awesome like just be the best thing ever and like worth traveling for and worth doing but it's not that you know it's not that thing but that's just man that's that's what having a home is Mm -hmm. right like your home should be that to you right like your home your wife you know like your children you know like there's all this other really rad awesome stuff that i want to avail myself of but You know, at the end, you get down to that core. You get down to the stuff that really roots you and, and holds you. Uh, Makes you appreciate it, I think. Yeah, you know? totally.
1: And again, like that that quote, you can have admiration for these other places. Yeah. But home is love, man. Yeah. Like, like it's really hard to describe, but when, when you're in it, you know it, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, uh, there's a, I, I think it's a, to, for me, man, it's really like a matter of, of comfort and ease. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a, there's a way to move in flooded timber. Like there's a way to walk that, uh, it's like you really, you kind of slide your foot along, you kind of shuffle, mm-hmm. but you can do that really effectively, but you do that because it gives you that extra half a second to feel, see if you're gonna hit a beaver stop, if there's a branch, if that's, you know, the stuff that stays wet all the time is you'll sink in. Mm-hmm. The stuff that was hard-bottomed and only gets wet for two months is like rock solid. You can walk around on that. Mm-hmm. So it's just like discerning all that with your foot as mm-hmm. you're sliding them. Mm-hmm. Uh And the only way to learn how to do that is just wanna- to have a bunch of shitty <laughs> mornings where you're stuck or you hit a beaver run or whatever. Getting wet. Yeah, yeah. What happens? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, well, Land Tawny, perhaps the greatest name that has been on the podcast yet. <laughs> uh folks can what I'm sure follow your exploits on Instagram and
1: Instagram yeah it's easy and then just backcountryhunters.org is the organization.
0: Yeah, and man good value man. Like a good value for uh for joining. What is it? It's like 35 35 bucks. Yeah man. I think you usually get like a hat or a t-shirt and right now well we just got rid of this but
1: you had like that mountain tough like, yeah, fitness thing it was like yeah. worth like 250 bucks like that you got but you get one mag- time
0: I one time I signed up and then I got a gift certificate for like a, a membership cost. So then like my next year was free too. Dude, I mean like it, it, it comes it really does work out to be like like nothing in the scheme of things. Like if you're hunting and fishing, like everything you buy is like more than thirty five dollars, right?
1: Uh you get but, the magazine four times yeah, a year. You get
0: a really like okay, yeah, I didn't even mention you back. Get
1: connected to journal. like the community right? Yeah, it's like, a good
0: know? it's a good group of folks, man. Like uh it, what would I say? Man, like I am not a joiner. Like I'm just not I'm not a joiner. I'm I don't want to be part of your club. Just whatever it is. Uh and hell, I was on the board in Arkansas for two years on this thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it it you can feel good about it. Right? Like if you don't whatever. If you don't want to get a bunch of sick in first light, right? If you don't wanna run it, you don't want a flat brim like yeah, there's little cultural touchstones everything has, man. But it's, I'm telling you, dude, like I know, I know some like really great people that see the world really differently than I do that, like I care about and I, I, I'm pretty sure they care about me. And it's, uh, man, it is nice. It's nice to not be bumping heads with somebody all the time. Right. Just to, to remember that you can see the world very differently in a lot of ways from somebody and still have things in common and, and still feel like uh, those people that are different than you are, are part of your community. Totally. And BHA is good for that. But, uh, all right, land. Well, thanks a bunch, dude. Yeah. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Hey, thank you so much for listening all the way through to this episode of the black duck revival podcast. As always, produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and Brian Sachs. Hey guys, follow me on Instagram if you want to follow along uh, with the process of turning my you know, big 15-seater van into a dedicated mobile hunting rig. Uh, there's a story highlight. You can see everything from start to finish on there. I'm in the middle of the process of of finishing that out to get it ready for next month uh, for Turkey tour and Turkey tour has actually turned into Turkey slash spring bear hunt Tour. So the plan now is to hunt Texas, probably stop in New Mexico, then get to California, Oregon, Idaho. And then when I cross over into Montana, spend five, six days, something like that, doing like a combo kind of hunt so i'll be turkey hunting in the morning and uh then after midday uh into the late you know the late reaches of sunlight at that high elevation uh sorry northern latitude i guess is what i'm talking about but anyway man it's like it stays light till like 10 o'clock at night so then i'll hunt the rest of the evening for black bears and hopefully come out with a bear from montana and a turkey So follow along with that whole process over at Instagram. You can check out the website, which we will be making some uh, changes to soonish. And that website is just BlackDuckRevival.com. And I also usually ask you guys to uh, tell somebody about the podcast. So I'm going to stick on trend with that. Please tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell an acquaintance about the podcast. Leave a review, uh, either just like a five-star or a written review. That helps a ton on the algorithm